The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Thursday morning. February the 3rd, 2022, it is 7.02 on your Tucson Thursday. We are live right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Glad to be with you here on this beautiful cold day. (laughs) Bundle up if you're headed out today because it is a chilly one out there. Um, But we have a a great show for the next two hours for you every day here from 7 to 9, or at least every day that I'm not having some sinus infection issue that's affecting my talking ability. Uh, But we are are excited to have a a great show for you today. It's going to be... Uh, you know, a lot of discussion, obviously, as, you know, the only local morning sports talk show here. We're going to be definitely talking about some local stuff as the Wildcats in action tonight at the McHale Center. I'll be heading down shortly after the show is over to uh, head down to Tucson and get ready for my other duties as the PA announcer there at the McHale Center for men's basketball as they get ready to take on the UCLA Bruins who are in town tonight and a revenge match for Tommy Lloyd and the Wildcats. Well, we will discuss that in you know, again, my keys to an Arizona victory. Uh, will Azulis Tabellis? Will he? You know, what? I guess put a percentage on it. I guess of, of his ability um, to you know to play tonight's game. Will Johnny Juzang play for the Bruins? Who was in? He was in uh, COVID protocol uh, a few days ago. So we will uh, we will discuss all of that, and of course um, talk about some other things going on within the uh, within the program and uh, what you can expect to see tonight. Not only tonight, but it's a grueling road for Arizona now. You know, uh, We thought that two weeks ago was tough when they had the three road games in six days, and that was difficult, but it was NorCal, SoCal. It wasn't the, the worst thing in the world. Plus, you know, playing Cal and Stanford is I – mean, Stanford's good. Cal's terrible. But, you know, I mean, the way that Arizona dispatched of Stanford, it was kind of a coast to the, you know, coast to the finish line of the second half of that game. Cal was a coast job the entire way. It was 17-3 to 3 before people could get settled into their seats. Well, all six of them or whatever that were there. So, um, you know, it was, it was different. This Arizona, this stretch coming up here tonight begins a stretch of five games in nine days, three of which they'll be traveling for. And those travels are – that's – it's the – it's in my opinion it is the most difficult travel in the Pac-12. That's the most difficult road trip in the Pac-12, which is the Washington schools, because you have Washington, of course, there in Seattle, and it's not it's not the you know it's not a terrible place to be. Obviously, Seattle's a great city, um, but kind of like where you're at and where the the university is and all this other kind of stuff. There's a little bit of extra travel. There's always bad weather. There's always bad traffic there too. Um, so time you know back and forth tends to be a little bit different and the facilities that they work out at aren't as great uh you know as as some of the other places in the Pac-12 and then the Wazoo trip you know the team stays in in uh uh they stay in Spokane Washington and then drive an hour and 10 minutes to uh to the Palouse to play that game it's usually snowing um at least it was all three years that I went there it was snowing um at Washington State it's a it's a abysmal place to play and it's just it's just a difficult road trip and then after the game you have another hour and 20 minute hour and a half drive to the airport which is it's usually snowing so the bus is driving slower 
And it's just, you know, you have to de-ice the plane and all. I mean, it's a long trip. So that is sandwiched in there, of course. And then the road trip up and down the I-10 with ASU on a Monday. Um, you know, you got to play them coming up just after the weekend here. So this is a grueling stretch of, of play for the Wildcats, and it's really going to test their mettle coming up. And we'll definitely talk about that and how it's going to affect them. We'll lay the road out for you, show you exactly when they're going to be, where they're going to be, how you can uh, check them out. And, of course, we'll cover all the games here for you uh, right here on the Jeff Dean Show, getting you prepped for those. Today I will also discuss my opinions of Tom Brady's legacy. Bill Belichick yesterday called him the greatest football player of all time. I certainly have my opinions on that. We will certainly discuss um, you know, whether or not I think that he is the greatest of all time. Um, I have some, you know, some statistics and, you know, not necessarily just only statistical based stuff. I mean, it's all, uh, you know, based on the, the eye test. I, you know, I've had the privilege of being able to watch his entire career as an adult in someone who has covered the sport. I've been working in sports the entire time that Tom Brady has been in the NFL. So it's, and it seems like a long time ago, but uh, it, it was, you know, I've, I've been able to essentially cover his career not from a New England Patriots standpoint, but just somebody who has been engaged in the world of sports as far as putting on a you know a headset and getting in front of a microphone and talking about the world of sports and digging in and talking with players and coaches and front office people and stuff. You, you just over time, you, you tend to soak more of that stuff in. You run into people. I've, I did have a run-in with Tom and Giselle at the Super Bowl, um, a pre-Super Bowl event, and we'll talk about that too. Um, also, we will get into the – there was more disturbing allegations coming out yesterday. <clears throat> pardon me. Just before the show ended, um, that there, there were other allegations. Because I didn't like, I didn't dive into the five-page report of the, the lawsuit that had been levied. I, I wasn't going to waste my time with a bunch of legal jargon. There was certainly stuff in there that I didn't know about when I started the show that we didn't get a chance to talk about. We will certainly be talking about that today as there are other things that have come out now, come to light in response to the Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL and specifically against the Miami Dolphins, New York Giants, and Denver Broncos. We'll get into more of that. It's been a, it's been a, a, a very heated topic of discussion. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is I, I, I get the sense that, you know, when I, when I closed out the show yesterday, I said that Brian Flores is not going to win this lawsuit. He's not he's not going to win it. I don't in my opinion I don't believe that he has enough proof and he has that burden of proof if it even goes to a court of law which we'll be discussing um you know when I get into this which I'll be you know just it has to go to a court of law to begin with even if you know if it doesn't get dismissed and he has to have all this proof to go up against what the NFL has which is their shield and these policies in place that were followed by the owners, unfortunately, as, as ridiculous as it may sound, but those policies were apparently followed by them. Uh, they, they were able to, to check the, the correct boxes. The intent is awful and terrible and misguided and, and uh, you know, not anywhere near the forward-thinking process that we're engaging in in this day and age in America. Um, but nonetheless, it, it doesn't make it right or wrong in a court of law, unfortunately. So I do not think that he's going to win this case. I don't. I also don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I, the fact that it's being brought up, the fact that it's being brought to light, the fact that it may go to litigation is a good thing for everybody involved except for 
the 31 owners of the NFL teams plus the uh, the the you know constituency made up of the Green Bay Packers ownership group. So while I do think it's a good thing, I also don't think that he's going to win it. And I, I get that I get that sense from a lot of people. I read a, a lengthy report this morning um, from an attorney from a uh, from an organization that is specifically um, geared towards essentially like the progression of black coaches in the NFL. And this is it's it's an organization that is strictly involved in that. Rod Graves, former general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, whom I've had lots and lots of conversations with over the years. Um, he's the executive, uh, the executive uh, director of that organization, and we'll uh, we'll talk about them as well in the uh, in the show today because their attorneys there, who who have reviewed the uh, the the allegations, are kind of in in a, in a in a sense of like we hope that this is progressive. We're not sure yet, um, and there's a big hang up about this, and, and I'll, I'll get into that in a moment because there is one thing. And it's a it's a very real possibility that this thing may never even go to a court to begin with, and there there will be no class action suit, and there will be no uh, lawyers involved. I mean, there will be lawyers involved in everything, but there won't be a judge involved, so to speak. It'll be you know an arbitration committee and things like that. So we'll talk about that coming up in, uh, in a little bit when we start to discuss the Brian Flores uh, lawsuit. Um, last night the Coyotes were in action. They lost at home to Calgary four to two. And uh, you know it's it's kind of the same old story, unfortunately, for the uh, for the Coyotes, as um, you know some they're they're discussing now you know whom they're going to be trading away uh, as the NHL trade deadline looms very very uh, rapidly ahead, and <clears throat> it's you know it's it's kind of like business as usual for the Arizona Coyotes, unfortunately, as it's just a lot of instability, a lot of losing, and. You know, unfortunately for you know for the fans and for the people in this state and for you know fans of the NHL who want things to work in the Southwest, it's just been one thing after another. And now they're talking about how you know at the end of the season they're going to be kicked out of their building there in Glendale, and that they're going to have to probably play for the next three or four years at the new facility that's about to be finished in Tempe for Arizona State hockey. Okay, that's great. Brand new facility. It holds 5,000 people. <laughs> so you're going to expect NHL games to be played in a tiny arena. It would be like it would be like saying to have the Phoenix Suns, <clears throat> pardon me, to have the Phoenix Suns play at Grand Canyon University. It, like it, as beautiful as that facility is and as much as they have made that thing look like, sound like, act like the the Phoenix Suns home arena because They've taken a lot of the game operations people, former game operations guys and people from uh, from the Phoenix Suns of yesteryear and put them in place at GCU and have created this amazing home field or home court advantage there for uh, for their basketball program. But it would I mean, it's it's a small arena. I mean, there's the fans are right on top of you there. It holds like 50, I think 5,200 people. It would be like asking the Phoenix Suns to play their home games in that arena for the next three to four years. It's it's not conducive to a professional team that's trying to generate hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to be able to make payroll and all these other things. So not sure exactly where that's going to land. We don't get a chance to talk too much uh, Coyotes hockey here, but as uh, we get past the all-star break and things like that, we'll start to get into it a little more because 
as the finish line looms ahead, the, the Coyotes are not going to be a playoff team this year, we will discuss the future of the Arizona Coyotes and whether they will be an NHL team. Because I think, you know, when the ownership group sits down and starts to really think about it, they may just want to offer that team up for sale. But we will talk with that. And uh, Craig Morgan, who does a phenomenal job covering the Coyotes up here in uh, in Phoenix, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get a hold of him and we'll talk with him about the state of the Coyotes. We'll do that sometime after the NHL All-Star break, though, because I do love me some hockey. I, I really do. Uh, I used to work for the Coyotes back in the day just to play a little music at the game stuff. And I and, uh, uh, worked as a, a backup PA announcer for them for several years. And it's an organization and a team that I do love. And, you know, kind of as the only, you know, adopted team that I have here in, in Arizona, I've already been established as a uh, San Francisco Giants and San Francisco 49ers fan and being a diehard Suns fan because, you know, obviously growing up they were older than I am. And the NHL, I didn't really discover it until I was, you know, like my sophomore year in high school probably. I started watching the NHL. And the Coyotes weren't a team then. I was just watching on ESPN and was like, oh, I'll be a Boston Bruins fan. I got this guy, Cam Neely, who's pretty cool. I like him. Uh, but then as soon as the Coyotes became a franchise, I'm like, okay, well, I have no allegiance to this Boston Bruins team I watched on TV a few times. Uh, I'll just go ahead and jump on the Coyotes bandwagon. I'll be a Coyotes fan. And I have been my entire life, as long as they've been uh, a franchise. And it's it's sad to see the state of affairs that are going on there that have gone on in that organization over the years. So we will uh, we'll discuss some some Coyotes hockey later on down the road. I just wanted to bring that up a little bit tonight because it was the only team that uh, that that played last night, uh, local team that played last night. Uh, the Phoenix Suns going to be in action at the Atlanta Hawks. That game is tonight on TNT. It's also part of that uh, the TNT Thursday night promotion for FanDuel Sportsbook, which you'll hear me talking about a little bit later on as well. You can get some cash back on your bet on an SGP. And I got to be honest with you, like I love betting. I love betting Phoenix Suns basketball. They're 41-9. and nine. They got far and away the best record in the NBA. They're a fun team. They play great offense. They get all kinds of production out of their guards. And uh, they also play really good defense and are able to shut some specific teams down in, in certain areas. And uh, it's easy to just kind of cherry pick. I've won, I, I mean, I, I don't know, 30, 35 tickets this year just on just betting the Phoenix Suns alone. So uh, we will talk about that a little bit later on as well. But we'll begin with the the Brian Flores lawsuit. It was made known yesterday as he notified the NFL and three NFL teams that he was going to be bringing a, a potential class action lawsuit against the organization known as the NFL and also these three NFL franchises for what he claims are civil rights infringements in their hiring practices. Now, I discussed it yesterday and we'll continue to build on that today, the fact that 70% of the workforce is, you know, it's, it's 70% of the workforce is black men. They are, they make up 70% of the workforce in the NFL and there's currently one black head coach. Okay. The numbers, it's, it, it's too, it's too coincidental to, to say it's just a coincidence, right? It's, it, there's, there's too glaring of an issue here to be like, oh, that's just a coincidence. It's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. No, I don't think so. I think in this case where there's smoke, there's fire. And I am 100% in favor of this journey that Brian Flores is about to go on. Again, I don't think he's going to win the case. And I also don't think that the NFL is necessarily the organization to blame in this particular instance. 
they did what they thought was right in 2003 by instituting the Rooney Rule, and then I believe it was seven or eight years later they enhanced the Rooney Rule by saying you, you know you had to give two different individuals an interview and one of them had to be an in-person interview. So they enhanced the rule after they realized like owners are just saying, yeah, we called a guy, gave him an interview and check the box and move on. It's not working. So the NFL has, has tried. And they, I mean, they really have because they, they can't force owners to hire people. That's just, you, you can't do that. So, the owners are the ones who are really that have kind of gotten together. You know, the good old boys club, I guess, is, is you know, what they're described as. And they've gotten together and, and got it in their minds that they're just going to continue to hire a bunch of white people to be the head coaches of their, of their football teams. And plenty of black coaches have ascended to the, to the head coaching position, and many have failed. One of them being Hugh Jackson, who corroborated with a story via Twitter yesterday and then went on to ESPN, Sports Center, and some other uh, outlets, other other media outlet outlets, to discuss uh, his, you know, his experiences in the NFL, and it didn't have anything to do with the hiring practices. What it had to do with was paying coaches to lose games. That owners were going to coaches to tank NFL games. Now. This opens up an entirely new can of worms, and this is something that the NFL is going to have to investigate. Now, this is something that that we found out about literally five minutes before I signed off. I didn't have time to even get into it. I was like, wait, what? So (laughs) we're going to talk about it now because the, the notion that there are owners who may be incentivizing coaches to lose games is, (laughs) first of all, it's it's one of those things where, like, I, I swore that I would never be taken by surprise by anything in the world of sports again. Like, nothing would surprise me. I, I, I figured at this point I had seen and heard it all. And, yes, there would be other stories that would be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But it wouldn't be like, oh, my God, that's shocking. Well, how could that have ever happened and under under our noses? we've It's the most watched entertainment in the entire universe. How did we all miss this? Because a lot of stuff goes on, you know, behind the scenes that we have no idea uh, about. Trust me, <laughs> you you peel back the the layers a, a little bit and you start seeing some things. You're like, whoa, I've experienced that firsthand with some things. And you know, you just you go on about your business. It was none of my business to find out about stuff like this. I didn't agree with it. I didn't like it, and I tried to stay away from those particular people and situations as best I could uh, moving forward. But nonetheless, it is what it is, and it's kind of an eye-opening experience. When I heard that that owners were potentially incentivizing coaches to lose, first of all, my first indication is that's stupid. Okay, because first of all, I I, I don't like tanking. I, I don't believe in tanking because you are basically saying to yourself, I'm going to rely on my ability to pick an individual to be a good performer at the next level for the next dozen years for my team than I am at evaluating the current roster that I have, coaching staff that I have, and our ability to win football games. Because the the fact is they've been there before. They've picked these guys before. They still stink. So what what makes you think that your picker is any good? Your picker's broken, right? So – the, the the idea the notion of tanking drives me absolutely nuts 
and it has worked in the past for certain teams, certain you know philosophies. When the San Antonio Spurs, when they tanked back to back to get David Robinson and, and and Tim Duncan, I would say that that worked pretty well in favor for the San Antonio Spurs. But for other organizations who just languish in in losses at the bottom of a quagmire of deceit and guilt and uh, egg on their face and all these other things, you know, organizations like the Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, I could go on and on, you know, to, to incentivize losing, it's like you've already been losing. Whoever you've got picking, is their picker is broken. So why would you why would you want to try to lose more games? And we'll talk about that coming up because I just think the notion of tanking is silly, and to pay somebody to tank is even worse than silly. But if that indeed is what's happening, the NFL has to address it immediately. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. You know, I've got some uh, tickets to give away today as well. U of A women's basketball. The women play Oregon tomorrow. I don't have tickets for that game. That game is nearly sold out. They are crushing it in that one. And if you're going, make sure you wear white. It's a whiteout. We'll have a full preview of that game tomorrow. Uh, but I have tickets for Sunday's game against Oregon State. That game is going to be at noon, so a nice little afternoon tip there, a noon tip, I guess, at the McHale Center. And I'll have a pair of tickets to give away today. Be listening for your cue to call. Could happen anytime within the next 90 minutes, so be ready for that. So I mentioned that uh, an attorney for um, an attorney that's familiar with the, the processes here. Now, this, this individual's name's N. Jeremy Daru. He is a, a professor at uh, American University's Washington College of Law, and he used to be uh, one of the uh, council members for the Fritz Pollard Alliance, which is the, uh, the organization that I spoke about earlier that Rod Graves is the uh, executive director of. And it's, it's basically a group um, of you know, lawyers and uh, individuals who have spent time in the, in the NFL that advocate for diversity in the NFL. And he offered his thoughts on the uh, on on the lawsuit, and I'll get into some other things, you know. Eventually, we'll we'll continue to talk. This is a topic that's not going to go away. Although I can tell you one thing that may potentially happen that could make it go away that we'll never see the light of a courtroom. Is it illegal to pay or offer to pay coaches money to lose games because? As alleged by Brian Flores, Stephen Ross, of the, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, offered him $100,000 to tank games, basically $100,000 a game to lose games so that they could go ahead and, and increase their draft pick and you know, you know, work their way up to the draft because the NFL incentivizes losing teams by giving them higher draft picks, right? It's, it's uh, unlike the NHL and the NBA who have the lottery where – it's not guaranteed that the worst team in the league gets the number one overall pick. We've seen that plenty of times before, right? The Phoenix Suns and the Arizona Coyotes both have been in positions where they've had the most, the most ping-pong balls in the barrel or the highest percentage to get pulled number one and never do um, until, they, until the Suns did when they got DeAndre. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's not guaranteed that you're going to 
win the you know overall first number one pick in the NFL. If you have the worst record, you get the number one pick unless you traded it away for some reason. So there there is a you know there is a a direct correlation between losing and incentivizing that losing by saying we're going to help you out by giving you a top pick. And look, we've seen plenty of draft picks bust throughout the years, and you know a lot of times it's because of the player. And a lot of times it's because the organization that they went to. I mean, there's a reason why teams continuously draft in the top two or three every single year because the organization sucks. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, one of the one of the coaches that is alleging that they were paid to tank games was a coach for one of the darkest times in this organization's history. And I'm talking about Hugh Jackson when he was the head coach at the uh, for the for the Cleveland Browns. Now, yesterday, Brian Flores comes out in his in his lawsuit and says that Stephen Ross offered him hundred thousand dollars to lose games, and people were like, "What?" And then Hugh Jackson goes to Twitter and is like, "Hey, me too," and was responding to people on Twitter, like commenting, like didn't didn't come out with like a formal statement, was just like on Twitter, like, "Yep, it was a big number. I can I can prove it." Okay, well, why haven't we heard from Hugh Jackson until now? Now, according to Hugh Jackson, um, he said that he has already spoken with the NFL about this, and he spoke with them about it uh, back with uh, back in uh, 2017 or 2018, I believe. He had mentioned it to the league, um, and the league, based on what he said, was basically dismissed his uh, dismissed his claims that Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Cleveland Browns, was offering him money or incentives to lose games. Now, that Browns team, uh, like the four years that, that Hugh Jackson was there, he said he was paid to lose the first two years, and then years three and four they were going to invest in the team. Well, he went 1-15 in, in year one and then went 0-16 in, in year two. So it you, you can't get much worse than that. He was 1-31 in, in, in his time, in his first two years, at uh, at Cleveland, and then was fired midway through the third season of uh, their you know alleged uh, winning uh, you know formula that they had for their team. There, I'm not buying it. Um, this this all seems like I don't know. I, both owners, both Jimmy Haslam and Stephen Ross, the owners in question here in this incentivizing allegations, have come forward very rapidly and said. We absolutely did not do that. These are patently false claims. I don't know where they are getting this, you know, notion that we were offering money to to tank games. Okay, but here's the thing: is it illegal? It's not illegal per se. It is against NFL constitution and bylaws. And if gambling were involved, then yes, that would be illegal. Um, but you know, in, in the world of of sports gambling, it was only going to be filtered through illegal channels anyways, because if you're in Cleveland or in Miami, you had to do it overseas to begin with, so that was going to be illegal anyway. So, it really isn't illegal. I mean, they'll get a, I mean, they could get a slap on the wrist from the NFL and and be like, hey, you, you can't you can't pay people under the table. That's, that's against our rules. Um, and they would be very heavily fined for that. Let me just put it that way. Um, possibly even forced to sell the team. However, that's never been a precedent in the NFL. I mean, ever. Uh, who was the, the owner of the Panthers? Um, uh, Jerry Richardson. 
Jerry Richardson, by all accounts, was a horrible individual, like just an awful person to work for. There was tons of allegations of workplace misconduct from, I mean, from top to bottom, from from the from the people in the front office, general managers, guys that wear suits and ties, to the kid in the mailroom, like everybody was piling on him. Like like this dude's a bad individual. He wasn't even forced to sell the team. He sold the team in uh, like a few years ago, and basically said it was it was my own decision to sell the team. I needed to get out. I wasn't my heart wasn't in it anymore. Or whatever the team's value had had become too high for me to pass up the offer. Whatever yada yada yada. So it's not been a common practice in the NFL to say you're going to you're going to sell this team. That just doesn't happen. So what does the NFL do about this? Well, they have to they they absolutely have to investigate this. Because if this starts to snowball, then the integrity of the lead the league starts to come into question. This this has to be dealt with immediately. Like that <laughs> you cannot wait any longer on this. And the NFL has said they're going to conduct an investigation, even though they did say yesterday the immediate response was that the uh, the allegations had no merit. So we'll find out. I, I have a hard time believing that owners would pay for for losing, for tanking, and I have a really hard time believing that they would have left any kind of a paper trail or proof that that was going on, even if it was happening in truth. FanDuel Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, and to celebrate, new customers can bet $5 to win $280 in cash on either team to win when you use my promo code, Dean, when you register your newly created account. Yep, that's right. When you get your winnings, you get them in cold, hard cash because FanDuel knows that cash is always better than the quote-unquote free bets that the other guys are offering out there. Now, as much as my heart wants to pick Joe Burrow, and I'm do love watching him play, and I love his swagger uh, and that victory cigar. My brain does tell me that the Rams are going to hoist the Lombardi Trophy this year. Now, I may come around, and you know some things may change over the next week and a half, but that's kind of where my brain is at right now. But regardless what you're feeling, you can bet to win either team to win and bet $5 and win $280 in cash if it wins. Plus, there's all kinds of fun prop bets you can enjoy for Super Bowl 56. You can bet on the game MVP. You can bet on the color of the Gatorade and the Gatorade bath. Or... My personal favorite, and I'll be joining in on this one, any offensive lineman to have a receiving touchdown because you know there's going to be trick plays in this game. And there's no better place to bet the Super Bowl than FanDuel Sportsbook. They're offering promotions for new and existing customers. Be on the lookout for those. You can customize same-game parlays your way and combine smaller bets for bigger payouts. And there's all kinds of fun prop bets, as I mentioned, for more fun with the family and friends and so much more that they offer there. So don't miss your chance to turn $5 into $280 cash. Download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Use my promo code DEAN and make every moment more this Super Bowl. Again, my promo code is DEAN, D-E-A-N, exclusively on FanDuel Sportsbook. 21 and over in President, Arizona. New users only. $10 first deposit required. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bonus $280. Restrictions apply. See full term to sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you think you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. All right, what is, the, what is the trump card, so to speak, that the NFL has in their pocket that they can use to shut this whole thing down? We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
All right, don't forget, we got those uh, women's basketball tickets coming up at any time. The next hour and 17 minutes could happen anytime. Be ready for your cue to call and uh, win a pair of tickets to go watch Adia Barnes and the Wildcats women's team take on Oregon State and the Beavers at noon on Sunday at the McHale Center. We're continuing to talk to Brian Flores' lawsuit here. He talked about the uh, the tampering, essentially, in the lawsuit as well, that there was tampering on the, the part of Stephen Ross and the Miami Dolphins. Now, according to Flores, Ross had set up a chance meeting in 2020, uh, 2020 with a prominent quarterback who was under, quarter, under contract with another team. Flores declined to take the meeting, and he would not reveal the identity of the quarterback. Now, 2020... Um, I mean, it could have been any any number of people, but we know that they were in pursuit of Deshaun Watson this season uh, in to replace Tua. So it, it's it's possible that they could have had their eyes on Deshaun Watson before this season as well. Now, look, <laughs> tampering is nothing new in the NFL or in any league for that matter. It happens every single day. This is nothing new. This is something that would merely be tacked on at the end by the NFL. It would be like, here's your slap on the wrist. Here's an extra, you know, million-dollar fine for tampering with players who are under contract. Don't do it again, or we'll fine you again another million dollars, and Stephen Ross will pull in, dive into his, uh, his coin purse, and pay the fine with that money. So the real problem here is, look, the, the, the incentivizing of tanking, that's a huge issue because that's a competitive issue. That's something that the league has to look at. But obviously, the most important thing here, the most disturbing allegations, are in regards to the the sham interviews, as they're being called. Now, the sham interview is is basically defined as giving someone an interview for a job that you have no intention of hiring. We found out, based on 70-year-old Bill Belichick not being able to uh, figure out how to how to text the right person at the right time, was trying to send a text message to Brian Dayball congratulating him on the New York Giants hiring, and he accidentally sent it to Brian Flores, who was probably right next to Brian Dayball in his uh, in his contacts list there. Pretty D and the F are pretty close to one another. Probably not a whole lot of Brian D's, E's, and F's in his uh, in his phone book there. So that was a you know that was a, a red flag because Brian Flores hadn't even taken the interview yet. He's like, well, I didn't interview with him on Thursday. I interviewed him on Thursday, not, you know, and it was Tuesday. And he, Belichick's like, oh, boy, I screwed up. <laughs> you mentioned Bill Belichick, pucker factor at that point. Like, ah, oh, crap. Uh, so, he, but, you know, the, 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 the sham interviews obviously are ridiculous. I talked about this yesterday. I talked about what a joke the Rooney Rule was, and I've, I've said it from the beginning, from, from the get-go. I could see this coming a mile away because, look, I, I know people. I understand how people work. I, I've always had a knack for this. I can read people like a book. Just always been able to do it. And in 2003, they're like, we're going to institute the Rooney Rule, and it's going to increase diversity in hiring of black coaches and stuff. And I go, nope, it's not. <laughs> Nothing is going to change that until you start changing people's minds, changing people's hearts. You can change policy all you want. What they're going to do is they're going to have themselves a little checklist and say, okay, uh, when we hire people, we have to do this, we have to do this, oh, and we have to do this Rooney Rule thing. Okay, so call um, call whomever. Call, who's a black guy you know? Call him uh, in the NFL. We'll call him, give him an interview. That way we can be in compliance with this new Rooney Rule. Owners were spinning it from day one. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't increase anything. There were black head coaches long before 
the Rooney Rule was instituted, and there have been seldom since. So it hasn't changed anything. You, what you have to do is you have to change those individual minds, those individual hearts. You don't give them a checklist of things to go by so that they are uh, bound by this uh, this new policy. By the way, hey, hey, did you get the memo? Well, what's that? Oh, we got we to gotta interview um, a black guy for the head coaching job. Okay, fine. Let's, let's make sure we do that. Moving on. It, it doesn't change anything. <laughs> this was 18 years ago, and I'm like, I'm like, this is dumb. Like, why give them an out? Why give them a legal out? You've got this this huge now obstacle that you have to overcome when you're going to try to 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 bring burden of proof to a court of law. I was discriminated against. Says here you weren't. Says here that the owners did everything by the letter of the NFL law to employ you. That you just simply did not get the job because they chose the better applicant. Now, let's take a look at the better applicant situation only as it pertains to Brian Flores. He alleges that he was uh, that he was discriminated against in the hiring of the Denver Broncos head coach back in 2018-19. So he claims that he that the Denver Broncos flew out to the East Coast, had spent a night drinking, showed up an hour late to the meeting, John Elway included, looked uh, obviously disheveled and hungover from the night before, gave him a roundabout uh, interview, walked away, and hired Vic Fangio two days later. Now, if you're just looking at the surface, okay, if you're just talking football, the Denver Broncos had an idea that they wanted to bring in a defensive-minded coach. They had some young defensive players. They wanted to build around defense after the you know winning championships with Elway and Manning. They were going to try to, uh, to go with a defensive-minded coach. If you're looking for a defensive-minded coach and Vic Fangio is available, there's no better defensive mind in NFL, in football, period, end of story, than Vic Fangio. Ask, you can ask anybody. You can ask owners, GMs, other coaches, who's the best defensive mind in football? Nine out of ten of them will say Vic Fangio. He's a wizard because, it's, because Dick LeBeau is retired. Dick LeBeau's quite possibly the greatest defensive mind in the history of, of the world. Vic Fangio, currently the greatest defensive mind in football. So, yeah, Vic Fangio got the job. He was the more highly you know, acclaimed defensive guy. Plus, he had more years' experience as a defensive coordinator. Brian Flores, but plenty of years as an assistant under Bill Belichick and only a couple of years as a defensive coordinator type when we, everybody knew that, Bell, that Bill runs that defense. So, Brian, in that, in that situation, Brian Flores, in my opinion, was, was picked over by a better candidate. Vic Fangio was a better candidate. And let's be honest here. It's not like the Denver Broncos are great at picking head coaches anyway. They're gonna, they're, they just hired their fourth head coach in five years. So, let's not sit here and say that this is like the Pittsburgh Steelers hiring their head coach. The other one that he's discussing now, the New York Giants, okay? Brian Dayball doesn't have nearly the resume that Brian Flores has. Brian Flores is a winning head coach. And, and I was stunned when he was fired from the Miami Dolphins. Things that I had heard about him not getting along with Stephen Ross all came together, yada, yada. But then when they chose Brian Dayball, 
they were looking in the direction of we've got this quarterback that we've invested time, marketing, money, all these other things in, and we need to get this right right now. We need to bring in a guy who's taken a raw talent and taken him to a superstar status. He took Josh Allen, raw talent from Wyoming, turned him into a megastar in three years. Let's go get that guy because we have a quarterback who's just languishing right now. We need something to spark him. Brian Flores was not going to do that. He doesn't coach quarterbacks. He hasn't had great performances out of quarterbacks in his career. He's won games, and he's a great defensive coach, but quarterback's not his thing. So they brought in Brian Dable to coach Daniel uh, Daniel Jones. Again, in my opinion, a more qualified person for what the New York Giants are looking for. And again, I'm just spitballing here. If it were me hiring a coach and I had a quarterback like Daniel Jones, I'd want to bring in a guy like Brian Dayball, too. And if only option is head coach, then so be it. Now, I wasn't in the hiring process. I wasn't there in the interview rooms. I don't know what they, what they were like when interviewing. But I can tell you this. If you're giving sham interviews, then that's ridiculous. Don't do that. That's just, that's just wrong. That's, that's, you know, and again, it, it, it's it's the Rooney rule just giving them the opportunity to do it and stay within the law to do it, which is the the overlying issue here. So what is the, the trump card in the NFL's hip pocket? It's called dismissal. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so what's this trump card that the NFL has? Well, they've used it time and time again. We just haven't known about it. I mean, or we haven't dug deep enough to see that that's what's happening. The league will most likely move to dismiss the case. They will file a dismissal report and try to get the get the case dismissed so that it can then be shifted to the league's internal arbitration system, much like they did with the lawsuit filed by John Gruden, much like the lawsuits that were filed in the Daniel Snyder and Washington football team case, much like the allegations and the lawsuits that were brought together in the Jerry Richardson Carolina Panthers case. They've all been dismissed by a court of law, basically saying, we don't want to handle this this is something, an internal league thing that needs to be taken care of, and you guys can handle it. This is what the NFL is going to try to do because they don't want this thing going to court. They certainly don't want it to turn into a class action lawsuit. They want to keep everything in-house. They want to try to handle it their way and do things the NFL way. This is the first thing that's going to happen. And I, I think, you know, in order, for the, in order for a court to say we're going to go ahead and move this to, you know, to, to trial, essentially, Brian Flores – and his lawyers will have to bring a, an immense amount of burden of proof that laws were broken, that, that civil rights laws, whether it be Title VII or the Civil Rights Act of, uh, of 1964, that those, that those particular laws were broken. Not just the Rooney Rule, that the Rooney Rule was, was manipulated or broken for that matter, but that civil rights that they were infringed upon because of their race. And that is the, the, the situation that, that they're, that's the uphill climb that they're battling. I mean, Colin Kaepernick filed lawsuits against the NFL. That was dismissed, and that was a civil rights situation. Um, 
the city of St. Louis lost a, uh, a, a, a civil suit against the NFL because a court didn't want to hear their gripe either. So this is a huge uphill battle for Brian Flores and his, and his attorneys. Now, whether or not you're rooting for this thing to go to court or not, I mean, that all depends on you know, how vocal you want this thing to be, how bright you want it to shine. I still don't think that the NFL should be the ones that are that are under fire for this. I think the NFL has done things maybe not as much as they could have in the past, but they've tried. Unfortunately, you can't force the owners to do something that they don't want to do. But things have to change one way or another. Period. End of story. Things have to change, and people have to change. And if you're counting on people to change, you're going to be counting for a long time, unfortunately. We'll continue to work on that. Coming up in hour number two, talk some Arizona basketball. I'll give away some women's basketball tickets, Tom Brady's legacy, and a whole lot more. We just had a quick little two-minute turnaround here to the top of the 8 o'clock hour, and we'll see you guys right back here at 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson on the Jeff D. Show. Casino Del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tank of Verde. KMXC HD4 Tucson.